The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Then he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was many furlongs distance from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Have no fear. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But... But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, Oh, man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. We thought you should get extra for furniture moving. There we go. So as I said at the beginning, some of you know me. I think probably most everybody knows me at this point in time. I've been around a while. But there may be something you don't know about me, and that is that I love water. I love it. I love being on it, in it, under it, I am a Pisces, after all, so maybe it's not all that surprising that I love water, but I do. I am an adequate swimmer, an Olympian floater. (laughs) I can snorkel. I've been scuba diving. I've stuck my toes in the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Indian Ocean, and quite a few seas, too many to name. I've kayaked canoed, rowed, and sailed. Did I mention, I love water. There is really no place I'd rather spend my time than on, in, or under the water. Well, years ago, my husband and I joined another couple to rent a sailboat to spend a long weekend sailing on the Chesapeake. When we got to Rock Hall, Maryland, I don't know if any of you are sailors, but it's a great place to sail from, we got there early in the morning to pick up our boat. It was overcast and a bit windy, but the couple we were sailing with were experienced and confident, and Dick and I trusted them, and besides, it didn't really look all that bad. Besides, we had been looking forward to this adventure for a long time, at least I was. Dick? Not so much. So we loaded our gear, and we set sail. Well, as you may have guessed, the weather got worse, not better. Before long, our little boat was just as rocking and as rolling as that bridge at the playground, maybe even worse. And it was alternatively sticking its nose up into the air and slapping itself back down on the water, over and over again, up and down, up and down, 
I loved it. But not everybody on board felt the same way. Within an hour of our setting sail, two of the four of us were miserably seasick. But not me. I instead got a crash course in sailing to help keep that little boat afloat. And in between my duties, up, down, swing, out, I've forgotten how to do it now, but I think in a pinch I could do it. But in between those duties, I found a little nest in the bow. There was some rope in there and a couple of cushions, and I hunkered down to enjoy the ride. I was exhilarated by the wind and even the waves that were coming in over the bow. It was wonderful. I couldn't get enough of it. My emotions were all over the place, but fear and doubt were not in the mix. Dick and Sally didn't feel the same way. This morning's gospel finds our trusty disciples huddled in a boat on a very unsettled sea of Galilee. Jesus had gone on ahead of them, so they found themselves alone. Unlike in the earlier passage in Matthew from chapter 8, in that story, remember, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat with them. And when their journey was disrupted by a violent storm that overtook them, and the boat seemed to be in peril of sinking, they became terrified, and they woke Jesus up. And of course, Jesus calmed the seas for for them. Now, the striking difference between this story and the other one, besides the fact that they're alone in the boat, is that what frightens them is not primarily the storm but rather the ghostly figure approaching them and on the water, walking on the water, no less. You see, in Jewish tradition, the gates of hell were thought to be found beneath the waters of the earth. So seeing an apparition walking on the water would certainly have terrified them. They would have been certain that this was an escapee from Hades and that this vision was up to no good. But of course... Our good buddy, Peter, he recognizes the voice of his Lord and he responds, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. You know what happens. He steps out on the sea and becomes distracted by the wind and he sinks like a stone. His doubt does him in. Now, I bet that we've all heard more than a few sermons that condemn Peter's faith, especially on this text. You know, there are so many to choose from because Peter's faith always did kind of waver in the fear of opposition. But the problem with this interpretation is that we blame Peter for something that really isn't his fault at all. He gets out of the boat and he realizes what humanity has known from the beginning of time. People can't walk on water. In fact, in ancient Egypt, the outline of a foot over two or three wavy lines is actually the hieroglyphic for impossible. So can we really blame Peter? What happens to him is exactly what what would have happened to any of us. We would sink. Of course, Matthew tells us that Jesus was there to save him. So the message is often this. Be courageous. Get out of that boat, but keep your focus, keep your eye on Jesus. He'll be there to save you. 
And in fact, that is a very fine message for any of us. Be courageous. Put our faith where our mouth is. Take action. But I can't help but think that Matthew was telling us something deeper and even more profound, especially in light of the stormy story that he told us in chapter 8. You see, so often our Sunday morning lessons kind of invite us into a pick-and-choose theology. We hear a fragment of Scripture and form our ideas around it. But that is simply not how Scripture was written. And my friends, it's certainly not how it's meant to be read. So let's go back for just a minute, and let's take a look at this gospel in parallel to Mark's earlier story, the one that we often refer to as the stilling of the storm. But let's keep them straight, shall we? In the first story, there is a storm. Waves swamp the boat, and the disciples fear for their very lives while Jesus sleeps in the back. They wake him up, and they plead with him, Lord, save us. Jesus calls the cra- calls calls them cowards, scolds them, tells them they have little faith, but but he does speak to the wind and the sea, and they become calm. In response, the amazing disciples can only wonder who and what this Jesus is, that even the winds and the sea obey him. In today's lesson, it's a little different. There is wind, and there are waves, but there's no storm. The disciples, well, they're probably not comfortable in their little boat because they do have a headwind, but there's no indication that they're in fear of their lives. We already noted what scared them, the eerie figure coming at them from across the water. Jesus reassures them that it is indeed him, but without the scolding. And we all know what happened next. Now why, you may be wondering, am I subjecting you to a mini Bible study this morning? Well, because I have a good reason. I want you this morning to dig deeper into this story, to see and understand that there just might be more here than meets the eye. Well, the two stories are similar but different, water, fear, faith, the 12, and Jesus. But there is one other thing constant in both stories, something that we just might take for granted. Anybody want to guess at what it might be? No takers? The boat. Here, in Matthew's story, it's the boat that's in trouble. It's being battered by waves and by wind. It's far from land because the wind is blowing against it. And we don't hear anything about the disciples being afraid, that is, until they see Jesus and assume that he's somebody come back from the dead. And, of course, there's Peter, the rock. Or maybe today we should call him the sinking stone. Peter, the soon-to-be foundation of the church. Peter, who time and time again starts out bravely and faithfully, but falters with fear and doubt. You see, there is more to this story. Matthew could just be using this story about Jesus, Peter, the wind, and the waves, to tell us something else, to tell us something about the boat, the church. God knows The church has taken a beating since it was formed. Today is no different. Today's church is battered by waves of scandal and abuse and the winds of ridicule and changing cultures and climates. 
Sometimes some churches must surely feel that they're drifting further and further and further from the shore. There are church wars about important things and about mundane things, unimportant things, adiaphora, Luther would call it. There are wars about rising costs of insurance and health benefits, wars over sexuality, leadership styles, ecumenical partnerships, worship styles, music, and even how the Bible should be read and interpreted. But even if Upper Dublin isn't fully engaged in these wars, we all know people who belong to churches that are. Today, it simply isn't as easy to be the church as it was for our parents and our grandparents. We, like Peter, can easily become distracted by the winds in our lives, family obligations, social media, stresses at work, school starting and all that that entails, financial issues, current events, current events filled with xenophobic hatred and bullying and threats. And then along comes this gospel, the story of Peter, the sinking rock, the wind keeping them from making any forward progress, the fear of the unknown as Jesus approaches, and the boat. Maybe here would be a good place to remind ourselves that a ship was one of the earliest symbols of Christianity. And Matthew's stories give us some insight as to why boats and ships were so attractive to the early church. You see, much like today, they were surrounded by a counterculture, a culture that was counter to Christ's message. Matthew describes a safe haven in both of his boat stories, a safe haven from storms, from fears, and from the unknown. And remember, remember that in both Matthew's stories, Jesus is in the boat with them. Today's church is our boat, our ship. And Jesus is here with us. But don't think small when you think church. Don't limit yourself to buildings, not even this wonderful space. Think of church as a verb and not a noun. Think of the many ways that we do church. The chosen 300, with or without our prepared chicken, the trips to Tanzania, and our support of the students there. ASP, how many years in a row have we gone? Sunday school, confirmation classes where our young people learn the stories of the Bible and they learn to follow Christ and Christ's way. The meals that we pack up and send off with the help of many, many others, and I'm sure many, many more ways to do church that I haven't mentioned. And then I want you to reach further and to think about how many other ways we could do church. You see, this is the message of the boat stories. Because boats and ships are not static symbols. They don't stay put. They move forward. Even when they're anchored, they move. They move toward goals. They are vehicles used to getting somewhere. Ultimately, we may ask, why did Jesus and the disciples travel across that sea in, a bad, in bad weather, in headwinds? Well, the answer is found in our gospel. They crossed the sea to get to the other side to minister to the people there. 
given the current atmosphere of our world. It isn't any wonder that most of us would like nothing better than to climb into our safe and secure boats and huddle together under the protective arms of Jesus. The little boat that is ours is where we want to be, and that's okay. That's okay for a while. But just like my grandson Henry, eventually we need to shed our fears and reach out on our own knowing that Jesus goes with us and that we are the church in his name. We are the disciples in the boat, afraid and weary, but not alone, never alone. That was to be the end of my message this morning. And then I went up to get ready for bed and I turned on the television. And then I couldn't sleep. Maybe some of you had the same experience. I couldn't sleep, and so I got up, and I wrote some more. In the face of white supremacy and anti-Semitic hatred, a hatred that denies the full humanity of all of our siblings in Christ, I can only proclaim with Paul that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. God does not favor us because of the color of our skin or the religion that we practice. There is no distinction in God's eyes. We are all in that same boat. We are all God's beloved children. And so let us pray for the end of hatred and violence. Healer God, whose church predates the doctrines of hate on display this weekend, predates it by more than a thousand years. Empower us with words and wisdoms to confront all divisions driven by hate and fear. Teach us alongside all your saints to remember our people, your people, all people, and to stitch their hymns and their heritage into our hearts. Help us all to reconnect with the cultural heritages that unite us rather than the violent, racial, and religious categories into which we have been forced. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.